to what it is your part documentary part roundtable podcast with just a sprinkling of competition i'm your host ellie main and joining me as i have every week is my dear friend chelsea Hafush. chelsea how are you doing i feel strange okay we'll just like <laughs> I like it well like yeah like and honestly like right off the bat um it's well it's because we're recording this on september 19th mm-hmm. and i don't know ellie how much you've been following this gabby petito case oh okay. shit is there updates yeah they found her body no oh no gabby i know it was just announced i mean to be clear they found they found a body uh and they you know did the whole kind of legal speak of like the consistent with consistent description yeah and they're gonna go do final tests but like it was enough that they like notified the family and they made a statement oh Um, the really kind of eerie part but fascinating part because i think we've talked about this a lot on the show i guess like to like kind of take it a little bit away from like the human horror of it all yeah we've talked a lot on the show about kind of like the role of armchair sleuths or like kind of you know podcast detectives Mm -hmm. and how that's been such a big part of this case as people true crime addicts yeah and you know people for better or worse like almost sort of like inserting themselves in the case like actually one of the first things i saw about this that like made me learn that there was like something going on at all was a tiktok where a woman was was trying to point out like that she thought that the last posted photos to gabby's instagram were older photos because she said that her roots were done and then in the all the photos like immediately preceding that her roots weren't done which i was like that's a really interesting theory but i went and looked and like i don't think that that's the case i think that her roots are also not done in the last photos Mm -hmm. that she posted so it's like that kind of stuff that's like a little like uh, it's not dangerous but it's it makes me feel weird sometimes but then the reason that they found her body is because a different vlogger um was also like doing like making videos about visiting Grand Teton and uh-huh. I think that's how you pronounce it and they were going back and editing their video about the park and they saw while in the edit because you know as an editor you spend a lot of time staring uh-huh. at like one scene over and over again uh, they yeah. noticed in the background of one of their dry videos a white van and they like <gasps> paused it and they were like pretty sure because of like details that it was Gabby and this guy her boy who's missing right now because uh, yeah. he ran off uh, that it was their van wonder why yeah I wonder why it was their van and it's really eerie find it online I have like chills even kind of talk about it I found it to be really upsetting it's like the van is pulled off to the side of the road and there's a bunch of like her stuff strewn around it like her shoes and her phone like on the ground it's not clear like obviously like it's but then this is the van that he drove back to Florida yeah but because of like they were able to look at this video and then see the location like figure out from the video where in the park the van was on that and like that day was the latest that they had any evidence of any of their whereabouts so then they went and searched near there and near where that van was in the video they found Bob in a ravine oh no yeah it's awful it's awful and if you're not if you're listening to this and you're like not familiar with this case at all it is a it was a young couple they were supposed to go on a four-month cross-country road trip starting in early July so we're only about two months into that timeline and then mm-hmm. and like the end of August um, the woman the woman in the couple Gabby Petito FaceTimed her parents and then was never heard from again and then her boyfriend that she was traveling with just arrived home with the van that they were traveling in but by himself would not tell anybody where Gabby was would not speak to the police hired a lawyer and then disappeared into the woods oh so, my gosh and then now uh, today on night body was found uh, Grand Teton National so 
both really, really sad. Poor Gabs. Um, yeah, poor Gabs. Really sad. Uh, literally just like read that like 15 minutes ago. So that is why I'm kind of feeling strange because I, I am like, yeah, you know, I have empathy for for what an awful experience uh, this must be for her family and people that know her. But I also yeah. don't know her and I'm not trying to like self-insert. I just, uh, I found it definitely very upsetting. No, like, yeah. And this yeah. whole, the whole like nation has been following this case and yeah. You're innocent until you're proven guilty. So I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to sit here and say like, oh, he did it. He killed her. Da, da, da. But I will say that he has done nothing to help her family's grief and pain. Yeah. Uh, in the time after whatever happened to her happened. And I think that's pretty self-serving. Pretty awful. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I can't well. imagine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, so happy Sunday. Welcome um, to the show. <laughs> I want you to know that I absolutely have a much more uplifting topic than the little like true crime dive that I just did. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I did specifically like choose something that I thought was, you know, uh, maybe more uplifting. Yeah. Celia and I were out last night having just like some really great like experiences with men. Oh, perfect. In a fun segment I like to call experiences with men. <laughs> My, uh-huh. It began with, and like, if you don't know, for context, our friend Celia is simply six foot one, uh, mm-hmm. six foot one and absolutely stacked. And I'm not objectifying her. It is relevant to the story. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, we go to the first bar and she's like, I'll get the first round. And I was like, thanks. And she orders her drinks and the bartender makes them. And then he brings them up. And as he sets them down in front of her, he does a full like Renaissance bow, like a, like a full like <laughs> milady bow to uh-huh. Celia and then you saw like we saw him like bow and then he came back up and his eyes just got really wide as if like he was not conscious of doing the bow until it happened wow and then he had like come back into himself after like post bow and was like oh my god it's just the effect that she had on him yeah and then he goes he goes I don't know why I just did that I am so embarrassed I'm so sorry and he like slunk off before she incredible her car absolutely amazing just happened like the what just happened the power of that woman the power of this like tall woman stacked woman just absolutely broke this bartender's brain and he was just like i don't <laughs> i don't know why i did that i'm so i'm so embarrassed i'm so sorry uh and we were joking that it was like an irl like mommy sorry mommy mommy sorry, sorry. <laughs> mommy sorry uh moment for this man where he just like it just he, his brain broke and that was really good uh and then we went outside to be confronted by outside men oh who, no were like a different breed like, yeah well they were like <laughs> this one guy was like you are both so beautiful and we were like thanks and he's like correct i just love a he's like i just love a full-figured adult woman oh and i was like why did you have to include that part and well i was just like the adult part that was is... assumed no <laughs> i was like i was like this phrase is so powerful and hysterical in ways that i can't even begin to unpack like because he was like he definitely <laughs> meant full-figured in like a like a stacked way like he like he meant like he was like you guys are like stacked and we're like yeah and then he's like you know like a full-figured adult woman and i was like well we are simply at a bar at like 11 30 at night so i would certainly hope so uh that was wow that was powerful uh but then i think my favorite uh interactions with men of the night came at uh there's this (laughs) bar in austin called aquarium bars uh ellie have you ever been isn't it on um is that on sixth street i say it's on absolute dirtiest of dirty sex 
And um, it's big claim to fame is that it has a slide in it. So there's like there's two <laughs> stories and there's a slide that looks like a snake or like an eel. Uh, mm-hmm, you can slide okay. from the second story down to the first. I do. Okay. I'm with you. And there's like a slide rules daddy who who like works at the bar, who just <gasps> stands next to the slide. Kind of similar to like a lifeguard energy where they're like, go, go. It's like that. Yeah, yeah. But there's more rules because it's in a bar and everybody's very drunk. Uh, so it's like you can't bring your drinks on the slide. You can't like go, you know, um, f- head first down the slide. Uh, you have to make sure that nobody else like is at the bottom of the slide before you go. Those are all the rules. And uh-huh. Slide Daddy is there to like enforce the slide rules. And nobody was listening to Slide Daddy and he was getting very angry. Oh, no. And we were meanwhile standing waiting our turn finishing our drinks. And Slide Daddy turned to us and said, do you are you guys waiting in line? And we said, we have to finish our drinks first because the rules say you can't take a drink on the slide and he was like you guys get it <laughs> we were like oh yeah. Hell yeah yeah i guess and so we finish our drinks and then celia goes down the slide first and she's great and it looks like it's fine and i'm like oh it's my turn and i start to walk up to the slide and then slide daddy stops me and he goes uh-huh. hey wait can he go with you uh and he <laughs> turn he turns and points behind him to uh what to me to my 32 year old eyes looked like a child like uh-huh. a, like if that man was actually 21 uh i know he wasn't like uh-huh. he just wasn't and he looked like 18 years old and like a little like white <laughs> polo uh and he was just like not like making eye contact and i thought i had maybe cut in front of him and i was like because he looked like so uncomfortable and slide daddy had to like come up to me uh-huh. and i was like and i was like oh no, no i'm sorry you, can you go. thought go you ahead. were getting told off by slide daddy yeah i was like oh no you can go go ahead and then slide daddy goes no no, no. and then and the guy in question was like, no, I wanted to go down the slide with you. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, <laughs> it took me a second to understand that I was being hit on because I was so like, this isn't kindergarten. Like, I don't want to go down the slide with you. Yeah. It is it's also, not- it is like at best a three second experience. Like it is it's a, a very short me, slide. So. Yeah, it's a very short slide. It's not like inherently sexy or like, or romantic. And like your if your opening like move is hey hey baby want to go down the slide together I'm like I could not be less like it, even if I were single I could not be less interested in that as like a move uh, but the absolute worst part was I told Connor this this mm-hmm. morning and he said well yeah he was trying to break the touch barrier and I was like. What? <laughs> And he goes, yeah, it's like a pickup artist thing. Like, you've got to figure out a way to touch the woman as, like, soon as possible to break the touch barrier. Otherwise, the touch barrier gets, like, stronger. That is psychotic. You... And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, and just like that, I'm done interacting with men for the re- at least the rest of the day. I just, I, I, you know what? I got my interactions in last yeah, night. We're done. And I'm done with it. That's fantastic. So that, that's, that's been my update on interactions with men. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. <laughs> Chelsea, what is the title of your topic this week? The title of my topic is A Good Man in the Cold. A Good Man in the Cold. And there Aww. is a little hint in there. Good man. Is it the co- as in the Cold War? <gasps> the Cold War is a part of it, yes. Ah! Okay. Ah! You know? <laughs> mm. 
So is it about like a war hero in that time? Kind of, but it's it's weird. Like, I don't know. I mean, we'll get into this, but like, I think the Cold War is so fascinating because oh, it it's was wild. not a war, but it, yeah. I mean, it, like it had all of the parts of a war that you need for war, but like not the fighting. <laughs> Except for like maybe all like the, the most, bits. like the maybe like the most basic part of a war, which is yeah, the, it like, had all the mean mugging. Had all the mean mugging. It had like big superpowers, like throwing fists at each other. It had escalations. It had like, multiple nations getting like reluctantly involved um Mm -hmm. it cost a lot of money there were a lot of weapons there was a lot of grandstanding but there wasn't propaganda there's a lot of propaganda good point there was a lot of like weird culture like side effects there was a lot of spies so everybody's favorite part of a war Um, is it about a spy it is not about a spy but yeah it didn't have like the troops on the ground so it's not like a traditional war hero but i would argue maybe like it is maybe one of the biggest war heroes we've ever had in modern times what? that I don't think anybody knows about. Oh my goodness. Or I shouldn't say anybody. Smart people do. Not and a now we person. will. <laughs> Smart people do and now I do and now I'm going to tell y'all so we can and all be soon, smart together. we will. Yeah. Okay, I'm excited What's for yours? that. Mine is and I I, I mean, I'm super excited to know if you know about this and if we're going to get to like riff on it like we got to with Elizabeth last week. Mine uh-huh. is called An Arm and a Legging. An Arm and a Legging? Mm-hmm. Is it about jeggings? Um, I think jeggings were a part of it. <gasps> oh, I was kidding. Holy shit. Okay. An arm and a legging. I'm sure. Is it going to sure be was... about, is it about LuLaRoe? Yes. <laughs> it is about LuLaRoe and Because you, you watched Lula Rich? I did watch it. Yes. And I was like, this is insane. I cannot wait to talk about it with Jesse. I'm very, very excited to talk about this with you. Because you know, um, but... our former, our former employer is in that documentary. What? Just for a moment. I have haven't reached that part yet okay it's in episode three it's not like a big part it's like they're showing like a montage of like the LuLaRoe like sales conferences and Rachel uh, makes an appearance uh, yeah gross it's, I can't it's wait cool. yeah it's real cool <laughs> get this guy out of the cold. Let's get this guy out of the cold. Okay. So as we've kind of revealed, Cold War. Mm-hmm. What was it good for? Eh, I would uh, say nothing. But it was like a bonkers thing. And I'm not going to really explain was. the entire Cold War because, uh, well, one, I don't fully, I'm not going to pretend that I fully understand the Cold War. Also, it's like not necessarily, we don't have time. We don't have time to go into the whole right. Cold War. I mean, but, we've, we've covered some of the gymnastics. We've covered the space. That's true. We talked about the space race. We talked about all the gymnasts. The gymnasts, yes. <laughs> but I think like maybe the most important thing to think about with the Cold War and the thing that maybe the most people are familiar with is that it coincides with basically like the nuclear armament of the world, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. So we come that out was a of... a big part of it. Oh, yeah. Like my understanding, because the Cold War essentially ended like when we were born. Right. For you, I think it ended the year you were born. For me, the year I was born was the year that they were like, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall yeah uh, 
just but I was saying, he got the job right and then he was like i'm dissolving the thing that i'm president of i believe so the things yeah the things that i knew about it from talking to family members who were old enough to kind of live through it is uh and it's it's hard to imagine now i mean we obviously there are nukes uh and we know that and they're i'm not happy about them but no. i don't live in like everyday fear of like a nuclear holocaust right in the blink of an eye everything being gone whereas like people in like especially from like the 60s through the 80s like absolutely did like they just mm-hmm. went about their days thinking like at any moment this is going to happen uh, which i think would be a really terrifying way to live oh my gosh yeah yeah and so you know like that is like the cold war is is responsible for the mutually assured destruction doctrine which was just basically like uh everybody was in this like nuclear arms race and then they were like hey if maybe we this do is a this, terrible idea <laughs> yeah if we do this <laughs> like if any one of us does this uh everyone gets super fucked so what if we kind of agreed that none of us will do it because there's no scenario in which any of us anyone wins yeah yeah like we all lose so like what if we just <laughs> did do that but you know not everybody was convinced that would be enough to prevent nuclear war and they still aren't uh yeah so especially like when people like uh kim jong-un have nuclear warheads oh my gosh yeah um, and like all the leaders of the superpowers are like yeah we're not gonna do it and then they like wink at each other yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> that would make such an incredible um sketch of just like <laughs> like a un meeting where it's like hey i'm not gonna do it and they're like hey did you just wink and he's like no 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 <clears throat> no Mm-mm, i wouldn't do it <laughs> no i promise uh, that i won't <clears throat> wink <laughs> so that's kind of the space that we're in with like we're like in this story we are deep like we are like deep in the guts of we're of anxious the cold war and by deep in the guts i mean we are in 1983 which i think maybe puts us in season one of the americans side note if you haven't <laughs> watched the americans you should absolutely watch the americans it's one of the best shows i've ever seen like most shows don't get it right from the first episode all the way to the last episode like it falls off somewhere uh not the americans it whips you should watch it it's about russian spies <laughs> but we're in 1983 and shit's real bad <laughs> like Ooh. it is basically the height of the cold war it's close to the end but nobody who's in it knows that at that time right <laughs> and they don't have and, a playbook yeah people don't have like that endpoint in mind so there have just been a series of for like the past 20 years at this point there have been a series of like little like testing moments so and this is why I think that like people were people talk about living in like the fear of nuclear war is like we still have nuclear warheads now in like the 2020s but people aren't doing these weird little testy things like they used to be doing during the cold war where like russia would be like hey we're not gonna nuke the united states like that would be stupid like we're not gonna do that but we are just gonna put like eight boats like at cuba and we're gonna point them towards the united states but like we're not gonna do it not gonna do it not gonna do it we're not gonna but we're not gonna do it we're not doing it we're not doing it and they're gonna do it and the u.s are gonna go there you know they're gonna they're gonna hang out there and the u.s is like hey why? I wish that you would not. <laughs> Why? And then they're like, uh, no, it's fine. We're not doing it. It's the equivalent no of like reason. your older, like when I'm sure you had this experience, Ellie, with your sisters, like your older sibling, like holding their hand like two inches above your arm and being like, I'm not touching you. What? Yes. I'm not touching you. Like, don't yeah. freak out. Don't call mom. I'm not even touching you. I never touched you. And it's like, or that. it'd be like us hovering on the like physical doorstep of her bedroom and she, her being like, get out of my room. And we're like, we are. Oh, we're not in the room. Whatever. Uh, yeah, we're not even. 
even in your room. We never we're not even in, in the room. room. We're just right yeah. next to your room. Absolutely. So <laughs> so we're we're here. They have been doing this. The Soviet Union has been deploying at this like very recently to this time in 1983 what they called theater nuclear missiles, uh, which is about <laughs> yeah, which is about as awful as like you think it is. And they're basically like like short range or medium range ballistic missiles that they were like deploying in like the 70s uh, mm-hmm. just to be like, well, like, no, 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 like we're not going to do it. But like if we were to shoot a missile, we just want to know like how far it could go. Like how it far? Just... It's just theater. It's just theater. Yeah. But, like, but like if it were a nuclear missile, like how far could it go? Uh, right. And no one liked that. No. And especially, especially NATO did not like that. And they <laughs> undertook this thing called the NATO double track decision, which is really important. But okay. it basically it was a, uh, oh, hey, we saw that you have like you know, dozens of missiles. So what we're going to do is we are going to basically put into action this plan that if we enact it, it will deploy simultaneously 572 American middle-range nuclear missiles towards the Soviet Union. Uh, And the idea was like, yeah, oh no, it was like a big overkill thing. It was a big overkill thing. The reasoning behind it, or like the thought behind it was it was trying to get back up to this mutually assured destruction. It was like a, it was like this idea of like oh no we're gonna tamp this down like you right. want to go do like your so-called theater missiles well fine the minute that i even fucking see a missile if i even <laughs> see a missile uh i'm going to simply launch 572 <laughs> middle range nuclear missiles at you uh, i love it it's like if i see that your room is dirty i'm gonna kill you yeah i'm gonna fucking kill you i'm going to set the entire house on fire if what? your socks yeah no i was like look i I saw a sock on the ground in your room and, and now I thought I told you to burns. clean your room and if I see even one more sock even if I see the toe of fabric pointing out from under your bed and I think it could be a sock yeah I'm burning the house to the ground yeah and you have to find somewhere else to go yeah so <laughs> so the double track decision had the ability to hit targets in the Soviet Union within 10 minutes all this is okay. going to become very important they were stationed along kind of like the ridge of what you would like the imaginary idea of Western Europe uh, uh, since uh-huh. that was allied uh, with NATO and yeah. they could reach the Soviet Union they could reach like uh, like Ukraine and Lithuania and Belarus within 10 minutes and then Oof. longer ones could go all the way into like Russia proper but it took long okay. so they start doing that in uh, 1979 again we're like I said we're leading up to 1983 when, when uh-huh. this big happens in 1981 continuing up until 1983 the US started doing psychological operations if the double track decision was like a, hey, if I see a sock in your room, I'm going to set the house on fire. The psych yeah. operations were absolutely what we were talking about of just like that. I'm not touching. Well, I'm not touching. <laughs> well, my hand is like my hand is hovered above your armpit to tickle you, but I'm not tickling you. So I don't know why you're what? screaming and laughing. The like, fuck? this is what they would do. This is like abs. I, I, <laughs> war is so stupid. Like war is just like, like it's so dumb. If you've ever heard like politicians say the thing about like when you ask people who work in Washington, what like TV show or movie gets like politics the most right and they always say deep like just sort of like mm-hmm. dumb people grandstanding like okay so these psych ops that they were doing in 1981 up until 1983 was where they would fly American bombers several times per week directly towards Soviet airspace and then they would turn away at just like the very last moment before the they fuck? reached before <laughs> they reached Soviet airspace because if they flew into Soviet airspace that would be a that would be like a, a declaration of war 
Right. Like under the agreements that they had. So they would literally fly to the edge of Soviet airspace and then just turn around. Uh, And they would do So after that, they had the little theater missiles and now they have little theater pilots that are like, like, if we were at war, this is what it would look like if we were like flying to you. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) This is a quote from William Schneider, who was the undersecretary of state at the time. Mm -hmm. His quote is, it really got to them, meaning the Soviets. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, he said, they didn't know what it all meant. A squadron would fly straight at Soviet airspace and other radars would light up and units would go on alert. Then at the last minute, the squadron would peel off and return home. So what he's talking about is that, you know, even though we're all looking at this through the lens of history of just like, oh, this is the tactic that they used. Like, Soviets didn't know that. And they had like, there was all these like, you know, Soviet, uh, like just sort of like military corpsmen who worked the radar stations who their only job and their, you know, to their (coughs) eyes was to protect their country from nuclear eradication and like let's not let's not forget like in the 80s most people if they weren't alive to remember they at least like had a direct family member who was telling them about Hiroshima and Nagasaki Mm -hmm. like that was like a very real cultural memory and so they so you are you know like a a lieutenant or a corpsman in the Soviet military and you work at this radar station you have your uppers like your leaders telling you hey all you have to do is watch this radar screen and if you see anything coming from this direction uh tell us immediately or you know russia could not exist in the morning like that's terrifying and that was happening every single week multiple times a week and you never knew if this was going to be the one where they didn't turn around so that That is is pretty chilling yeah absolutely so that is uh that is where we find ourselves this is like that was all to kind of like set like the on edge like absolute like tension uh Mm -hmm. and it's why what it's it is the reason that the actions of Stanislav Petrov, who was an Ooh. officer in the Soviet Air Defense Force, are so incredible. Because this man, who you may have never heard of, might have saved the entire world from nuclear what? war. Yeah. Oh my god, a real life Avenger? A real life Avenger. So, uh, we're all super tense. This this guy, Stanislav Petrov, is one of these men who works in um, a command center in an early warning station for the Soviets. He is the one watching all of these bombers come to the edge of space of the airspace and turn around he is absolutely like overwhelmed with this fear and this tension uh then on the uh september 1st 1983 uh and this is also like a bonkers thing that i feel like i should know more about but i only Uh heard about when researching this story a korean commercial like a passenger airline korean airlines flight 007 accidentally strayed into soviet airspace and they shot it down oh (laughs) they shot down a passenger line uh and killed uh 269 people holy shit yeah not great uh include mostly people from south korea but also uh 62 people from the united states which as you know is they weren't very happy about right yeah people from the united kingdom people from japan people from australia hong kong also uh a u.s congressman so this was Uh-oh. a big deal big Uh-oh. big deal and uh as people were like as um like government officials were trying to negotiate about this it sent the soviets into a tiz like an absolute tizzy where they were like oh my god like this is it this is the thing that is going to the United States is going to use this as their reasoning for launching a nuclear assault on Russia mm-hmm. everybody who like was working in the Kremlin at the time people working with the KGB and all the like people working in these like radar stations they were absolutely prepped that this was this was it mm-hmm. so that's September 1st 1983 now let's uh-huh. fast forward to September 26th 
1983. Stanislav Petrov, who, again, is a lieutenant colonel in the Soviet air defense. Uh, He is on duty at a bunker near Moscow, which houses the, or it did, uh, house the command center of the Soviet's early warning satellites. So his only job was to watch the satellites like all night and see if the early, early warning detector lit up. And if it did, notifying his superiors of that like early warning system going off. And being like, hey, they launched a missile. Yeah. So at that time, the chain of command was that if the Americans launched anything. So again, like if any of those bombers entered Soviet airspace, if there were any uh, detections of any missiles of any kind, Mm -hmm. the official strategy of the Soviet Union was an immediate and compulsory nuclear counterattack against the United States. Uh, That that strategy is called launch on warning. Mm -hmm. Not great. Uh, Launch on warning is we're not going to wait to see if this is a real bomb. Uh, The minute that we're just going to go ahead. As opposed to like launch on strike, it's launch on warning. It's the minute that we think that you are going to bomb us, we will we will just we will set the whole house on fire. And Petrov knew that. And that that was his job. It's been intense, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. So shortly after midnight, uh, he's in this little bunker and the lights start going off. And uh, then the alarms start oh going off. Oh, shit. And the computer reports to Petrov that an intercontinental ballistic nuclear missile is heading towards the Soviet Union from the United States. Oh, beans. Now, we all know we have the, the privilege sitting here in 2021, also being alive here in 2021, to know that 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 mm-hmm, was not true. Mm-hmm. The United States had not launched a nuclear missile at the Soviet Union. But something went wrong, the satellite. And it it was Oof. the equivalent of like, well, I guess maybe much, much worse. But like, do you remember like, I think last year when for some reason, like the like United States, like emergency broadcast system had like a glitch and a bunch of people got like those text messages saying that like Hawaii was about to be bombed. Do you remember that? No, I don't remember that at all. Oh, it but was that's awful. insane. I mean, I, it, well, and I think like, uh, Hawaii, yeah, false missile alert. It was, oh, I'm sorry. It wasn't last year. It was 2018. (laughs) What is time? Uh, (laughs) So if you lived like in Hawaii, uh, you got a, like an emergency alert on your phone, not unlike the Amber Alert alert, but it said, it read, imagine this. You're like hanging out in Hawaii. You're on the beach. You get this alert. You look at your phone. You're like Amber Alert. And then no. Instead it says, (laughs) emergency alert, all caps, ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. Oh. And it wasn't a drill. It was wrong. There was no missile. It was just an accidental alert that went off. Scared oh the God. shit out of people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, similarly, something went wrong with uh, the satellite and um, and it started to like light. Everything started to light. Everything started to go nuts. And Petrov's job was not to press the button, but it was just to inform his superiors. However, right. he knew that when he informed his superiors, that was it because the strategy was an immediate no questions asked strike on war uh so he he has like this moment oh yeah absolutely uh this was his quote about it it said the siren howled but i just sat there for a few seconds staring at the big backlit red screen with the word launch on it uh the system was telling him that the level of reliability of that alert was highest there was no doubt america had launched a missile oh yeah so not only is it a mistake but it's like the mistake 
also says that it's very reliable and not a mistake. Yeah. Yep. Perfect. A minute li- later, the siren went off again. The second missile launched. Then a third. Then a fourth. Then a fifth. They The computers then changed the alert from launch to missile strike. Meaning that, like, again, he's down in a bunker, like, underground. Oh. He thinks that above ground, these missiles have hit from the oh United States. Oh my gosh. States. That, that it already happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <sighs> there, he said there was no rule about how long we were allowed to think before we reported a strike. But we also knew that every second of procrastination took away valuable time. Uh, all I had to do was reach for the phone to raise the direct line to our top commanders, but I couldn't move. I felt like I was sitting on a hot frying Oh. And the thing that I think is so incredible about this is that, and like, you know, it, it, this is the kind of thing where like, I think a lot of us like to think that if we were in the situation, we would all be Petrovs. But the, the truth yeah. is, is like, if I'm being truthfully honest, I don't know that I would have because you had this perfect psychological out. He had this perfect psychological out, which was, it wasn't on him to launch a strike. It was just on him to tell his superiors. He could absolutely abdicate responsibility for this decision by being like, this isn't my pay grade. I'm just going to report what I said saw and people smarter than this decision but if he had done that they absolutely would have Mm -hmm. nuked the united states yeah so but he didn't do that because the thing is is that he was he was in the military but he was in the military because he was an it specialist and he had his own personal doubts about those satellites so the first thing that he did is uh he he reached out to he radioed like some radar operators that worked on those satellites Mm -hmm. and just to like get like a human confirmation basically and they reported back to him that they had registered missiles so now he has like this he has like dual information because the humans say they registered no missiles but the warning system in front of him says that it has registered five missiles and that That is a different amount (laughs) at least that some of them have struck and then finally he had to like he it came down to like he had to make this decision does he report it does he report it and the information he got from uh, radar detectors radar operators or does he not he said that ultimately what convinced him that it was a false alarm was just how strong and clear the the initial alert was and this is his mm. uh, this is his quote about it there were 28 or 29 security levels after the target was identified it had to pass all of those checkpoints all 29 checks i was not sure it was possible under those circumstances for it to cross all 29 checkpoints that quickly oh. Oh, okay. so like so the thing that you were kind of latching onto earlier about how like it came back at the highest like re- reliability yeah that was what tipped him off is how could it how could it appear on his screen and then immediately immediately a hundred like a hundred percent reliable that didn't make any sense uh so so many people wouldn't have even stopped to think about it i know so uh so after like a lot of consideration he picked up the phone uh he called the army headquarters and he reported a system malfunction with the the instead of reporting a strike united states if he had been wrong uh his entire country could have been annihilated uh but holy crap if he had if he had um just done his duty done what he was supposed to do literally none of us right now yeah this whole planet would be nothing would be just a bunch of sticky little trees coming out of mud right uh well did he get some sort of accolade for that oh no he got like fired (laughs) what yeah uh he was officially reprimanded he was officially reprimanded you saved the world you dumbass (laughs) but they couldn't well that's the thing is they they at least knew enough that they couldn't reprimand him officially for not uh oh you know not reporting it since it was wrong uh so they said that he made a bunch of mistakes in his logs that he didn't log things correctly 
Ugh. And he was treated like an outcast in the army for oh. failing to uh, adhere to the chain of command. Uh, however, once the Soviet Union fell in 1991, the story started to pick up some like press in the West, uh, and uh-huh. he received several international awards. When he was asked by the BBC in 2013, uh, as they were doing a retrospective, which I used for a lot of nations here, um, when they asked him uh, if he thought of himself as a hero, he said no. Uh, he said, uh, "This is that was my job." He says, "But they were lucky." it was me on shift then which has like a real yeah, Russian yeah. yeah it has a real Russian energy of just like it was ah, my no, job I'm not a hero it was my job but uh, you, uh. you're all very lucky <laughs> yeah that's uh, amazing so that's the story of like I just I since I read about this I literally can't stop thinking about it of just like one dude a, like you think that it should never come down to that and hopefully it doesn't anymore but just like literally <laughs> one dude in a bunker being like uh hmm. is this happening is what, maybe I shouldn't are we, are we doing this <laughs> and he saved us he saved us all and nobody knows who he is or not nobody he pre- but he prevented more people world war three yeah more people should know yeah absolutely so Ugh. that's uh the story of stanislav petrov the good man it. in the cold war we're gonna do points at the end of the show I yeah. Think. Yeah, yeah 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 so let's do it. Let's talk about Lula Rowe. An arm and a legging is the name of my title. Essentially, what we're going to be talking about is a very upsetting culty MLM. Hell yeah. And if you're anything like me, that gets you excited. Cults, MLMs, it's all fun. So a lot of this is going to be told through the eyes of some of the people who used to work for LuLaRoe. And most of this information comes from, well, a documentary, but also write-ups about the documentary and about what happened. So one of the first people that we're going to sort of hear from is Roberta Blevins. So she first heard about these leggings. <laughs> Everyone was talking oh, about these, these leggings. Great leggings. In the fall of 2015. She She came across this in a post on Facebook by a fellow member of a motherhood themed Facebook group. Mm. And that'll be, I mean, that's important. That's key. Yeah. That's vital. Yeah. So they're loudly patterned. I mean, they're ugly AF, but like they're loudly patterned, very, very soft, uh, sort of one size fits all. They were always talking about how like everyone looked amazing in these leggings. And obviously, you know, this is very functional clothing for chasing around young children and ladies who, whose body had changed after giving birth. But they were also, you know, like cute to wear outside of the home. That was the entire target audience were suburban white middle-class mums. Yeah. Um, so many MLMs are. The woman who advertised these leggings in 2015 said she brought them wholesale from a company called LuLaRoe and then sold them for double the price. And Roberta Blevins was intrigued. She was struggling with the alienation of young motherhood and looking to supplement her family's income. And then and apparently this LuLaRoe place offered an alluring, soothing promise. Sign up to be a retailer and you could run a successful virtual boutique out of your home while still being there for your kiddos, still being able to be a mama for Roberta <sighs> Blevins. I know, I know. I know. It's so, also triggering. <laughs> it's also triggering. So for Blevins, Roberta, she's called it Roberta. It seemed to offer this kind of like built-in community thing where you know instant friendships with other women who are probably feeling similarly alienated and alone 
in that you know in that sort of time in life. And so mm-hmm. Lula Rich, because Roberta Blevins is, is interviewed at length in this four-part Amazon docu-series all about the beleaguered multi-level marketing company, MLM, LuLaRoe. LuLaRoe women added her to Facebook groups, texted her, invited her to parties that doubled as fashion sales and showered her with encouragement. And by March 2016, Roberta had paid $9,000 to become a LuLaRoe consultant and receive a starter package of her own of clothing to sell. And, you know, it was structured like any other MLM, which is somehow legal. And we'll get into it a little bit. So essentially an MLM relies on independent retailers to sell its products. And then they have to find other people to bring into this company. And then all the money sort of gets trickled up to the very top. That's why they call it a pyramid scheme, because it's literally the shape of a pyramid that is the business model. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh (laughs) They're bad. It's bad. It is. yeah. It's bad because, uh, and they say it in the very first episode of this documentary, like there's only so many levels you can code down and have everyone be profitable and making money and thriving from this before you like cap out the maximum uh, like population of the earth. Like, yeah, when you, until you get to everyone. Right. It's like 13 levels down or something. And we're talking about everyone on the in the world. A leggings for every person, for every man, woman, uh, and child. Leggings for all. LuLaRoe was founded in 2013 by Mark and Deanne Stidham. Um, is it Stidham or Stidham? Stidham. I think it's Stidham. I think it's, Stidham. I think it's the British Stidham. holdover. Uh, <laughs> so they, yes, yeah, so they would offer what turned out to be for many an impossible dream. The chance for mothers to earn enough money to support their families without leaving their children at home. And the company grew at a rapid clip. In fact, I think they call it, they describe it as a catastrophic growth in the documentary. <laughs> so it started in 2013 by two th- 2016 it made a profit of $1.8 billion. God. But that is exactly the kind of stuff that makes these people so brain sick, where they're just like, yeah, yeah. what we're doing is great. And it like, we should spend insane amounts of money. Yeah, uh, we absolutely should. Yeah, it's fine. This Nothing documentary will ever change. <laughs> no, this documentary, by the way, is made by the same team behind um, Fire Fraud, which is the docu- one, of the, one of the documentaries about Firefest. Uh-huh. They're pretty well known as a documentary team for being quick paced with the sort of dark comedy streak throughout it and it is very interestingly sh- structured i think because the stidhams uh, they are interviewed in like you know they their interview forms a great big part of the structure of the show and they're still very much putting out the, like what they were trying to like they were trying to empower women it was all like good-hearted and not weird at all and actually lula is amazing and it's very fascinating to watch so good timing was a huge part of LuLaRoe's like swift success because right. it grew popular just as Facebook permitted users to live stream videos in 2015. So then rather than having to have these, you know, like Tupperware style parties, because Tupperware was like one of the original MLMs in terms of how its sales worked. Oh yeah. Your classic boomer would have a bunch of Tupperware and all the mums would go over and like, ooh, how amazing. And they would buy a bunch and then they'd also start selling it. But now with live streaming, you don't have to have these more like functions and events and stuff. You can just run your clothing room where you have all your stock as like a 
sort of your own your own QVC where you can be like check out these leggings and then also in sort of 2015 was really like the boom the start of this whole little bit of what we're talking about last week this hashtag girl boss era oh um, yeah I feel like this is maybe the most insidious part of it to me yeah is this uh, this conflation of something that I already find toxic which is like the hustle culture and the uh-huh. idea that like what you deserve is directly equal to like how much you sacrifice or like yep. suffer and then to conflate that with selling shitty leggings to people <laughs> that you went to high school with that don't want to talk to you on Facebook oh, God. is just the bleakest fucking yeah it's just the bleakest fucking shit uh, and so it please wouldn't... continue <laughs> and but, but but so much of it is because of like where we're at or oh, I mean we're still there but like in 2015 you know families are dealing with insanely high childcare costs and no mm-hmm. guaranteed paid parental leave and so people need needed and still need easier ways to make money than than they could do before so like because mothers would often get pushed out of the workforce yeah, I was about to say especially moms yeah or they just need extra income because having a baby is fucking expensive even just you know paying off the medical bill to have a baby is pretty fucking expensive mm-hmm. and then yeah it was this whole like get yourself a side hustle and how could you beat the allure of making money through fashion without even having to leave your house but the financial burden of becoming a Lulu, a Lularo, Lularo, it's so stupid. It's like a combination of three <laughs> of their grandchildren. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just, yeah, Lularo. The financial burden of becoming a Lularo retailer added up before officially joining the company. So in order to set up a business under Lularo, prospective retailers had to find funds for the hefty fucking startup costs, which was at least $5,000 and up to $10,000 just to like pay to get in, to be a part of it, like to pay to get a job because <sighs> the what the fuck and which is like for most people in that situation that we talked about that is a huge stretch but the company had this like ethos that that like you know you can do anything that you put your mind to you can make this happen and like it's part of beginning your own journey with blah 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 like all that bullshit right like because I feel like there was like this changeover that I started to notice around this exact same time that LuLaRoe Mm -hmm. was coming up they started calling people who were like selling things like LuLaRoe or LipSense or or I don't know, the one that's like all the fucking uh, essential oils. Uh, uh-huh. They started calling it their small business, which I was like, this is such an interesting cognitive dissonance to me where it's just like, yeah. this is like a certain language that like they've, that I'm assuming like the marketing teams behind these companies are now trying to like peddle. But like in what universe would this ever count as a small business? Like you are definitely working as an independent contractor for this existing business. Mm-hmm. Like you are not by any definition creating a small small business but I think what they were trying to do was co-op like the language of like people who franchise things like if you buy a like a McDonald's franchise or something then you're a small business person and those people pay you know whatever $70,000 or something to get to like open a McDonald's I think it's more than that but like so I feel (laughs) like that's like but it's like that's it's so manipulative it's so manipulative it's crazy but yeah you're exactly right they use this idea of like actually if you work for us technically you're running your own business it's just like supported by LuLaRoe just like what the fuck does that even mean right they hammered home the perks of not just being a retailer but a member of a movement like a like a quote-unquote boss babe part-time work for full-time pay 
contributing to the household income without having to go to an office. And it was all like, take your creativity, your passion, your excitement for life. And here's a place that's a pure meritocracy. Like what the fuck? Like the more you can sell, the more successful you'll be. Right. So at first, Roberta Blevins, she she pays the startup costs. She gets into it. And at first things are going really well. She was enthusiastic about the clothing and made money selling LuLaRoe on Facebook out of her home in San Diego. But she quickly felt the strain of this huge precipitous growth of the company because of its emphasis on recruiting new consultants, new people like her, people on the downline whose startup costs traveled up the ranks as bonus checks. And so by the end of 2016, you know, they had 1.8 billion in sales. They had more than 60,000 consultants. And suddenly that's when they started getting all these lawsuits that, hang on a second, this is just a pyramid scheme. Like, <laughs> like no duh. Yes. Um, yes, it is. Yes, exactly. It is because so many of these people, especially as it went on, people who were way down the line would pay these insane startup fees. And then they would find themselves saddled in thousands of dollars in debt with a fuck like truck full of leggings in their house <laughs> with that with no, like nothing to do like so much worse off it ruined marriages ruined relationships oh it was so dark-sided and that's not, i mean that's just the pyramid scheme side of it it gets so weird so blevins would go and visit home office which was in corona california this huge like campus that they they built once things started to really take off and they had these company events which took on the feel of these sort of like pop religious festivals uh, some of the events even had performances from like Kelly Clarkson and Katy Perry and stuff. And then suddenly, Katy Perry, get, like yeah. the Kate, wait, like like the, I the Kelly Clarkson, like, the Katy Perry, Katy yeah, Perry. yeah, yeah. Didn't they say it cost like fifty million dollars or something insane like that? I'm sure, yeah, yeah. To get her to to perform, I hope she feels so embarrassed. Like no hate <laughs> to Katy, Katy Perry, but like that's so embarrassing. Yeah, it's like I'm sure low. Rihanna makes fun of her if they're still friends. She's like, remember when you <laughs> fucking sang? at a cult MLM mm-hmm. event. Like, no, shut up. And then suddenly Mark Stidham, one of the co-owners of the company, would, would, would get up on stage and start reciting passages from the Book of Mormon. And so, so Roberta's sitting there saying, wait, hang on, I thought we were just selling leggings. This is getting a bit weird. And then she started to receive orders of merchandise that reeked of mold. The quality of the leggings was slipping. Some of them were just like straight up had holes in them. They were really badly designed. Really fucking hilariously someone a bunch of them had like just where the patterns were sewed made people like look like they had like dicks and stuff um yeah, or it would like be like a, a fly vagina. yeah or like a bee coming out of your vagina it was just so funny Ugh, um, awful and then apparently some of top retailers alleged that they were pushed by the Stidhams to have weight loss surgery to conform to their idealized image of what a woman should look like Ugh. in their clothing, which is disgusting. Uh, retailers alleged that then they were pressured to retire their husbands or earn enough money so their spouses wouldn't have to work. And then those husbands were meant to join LuLaRoe and take over the operations from their wives. So it became pretty clear that LuLaRoe was pushing for the very specific idea of what what uh, empowered women and families should look like. Heterosexual with the man in charge and everyone's wearing patterned leggings. <laughs> and everyone- 
everyone's just wearing these great leggings. Everyone's uh, just wearing these great leggings. There is a really good podcast called The Dream. Mm-hmm. I guess I can't vouch for like later seasons, but the first season is all about MLMs. And Ooh. they really dive into like some of these kind of cultural touch points that you're talking about. Uh-huh. Where like, if you think about like the greater kind of like cultural war that's going on in the United States between like, and I, I don't, for the record, I do not think this is true. I do not think that this is an accurate portrait of uh, the large diversity of America and American mm-hmm. beliefs. But the I, the sort of very generalized idea of this culture war is between progressive, snobby, a-religious, coastal elites, right, in big cities, uh-huh. and real honest-to-goodness, down-home, Christian, white Americans in mm-hmm. middle America. Yeah. And in that latter group, especially for people who have, like, a, a stronger, like, evangelical Christian background, there is an idea that like women shouldn't work outside the home that like their role in their family is to be the family hub and to to uh-huh. support everyone in the family including the children and their husband house. other people that yeah house and then the man's <laughs> job is to make enough money to support that happening and make so, house pretty make house pretty and so and so that the woman doesn't have to work and what mm-hmm. that means or what that can often manifest in is one uh that it's embarrassing for the family and for the man specifically if the woman has to work outside the home and two that the woman is shamed and feels less feminine for having a job outside the home so mlms are the perfect way to subvert this because you get to contribute to the income family income which as you pointed uh-huh. out a lot most americans need especially yep. if you have kids most americans can't survive on a single income and so you get to like contribute to the the finances of the family without technically breaking that big cultural taboo of a mm-hmm. woman working outside the home and I feel like that's why they were able to like it feels so insidious outside of that culture uh, that's very specific kind of cultural paradigm but like this idea of like retire your husband like no yeah. your husband would never sell leggings like that's a girl thing to do he makes he has real job like not like your thing but what if you made so much money that your husband didn't have to work as much wouldn't right. that be incredible uh, and then really it doesn't nice. break those like taboos Ugh. yeah it's so sinister and weird yeah well it's an awful thing to manipulate like things that are very important to certain groups of people like um you know like having a parent like no matter what your feelings are about like the gender breakdowns of these things I think that most people agree that in a perfect world having a parent or like having the ability for parents in some way shape or form to give their full attention to their children and their family is a good thing Uh it's nice to be able to have a parent whether it's the same parent all the time or whether it's parents swapping in and out because they have flexible jobs or whatever to be able to have a parent that is full time only engaged with like the well-being of their children and family is a good thing. Yeah. So to take that, take that desire that some people have to stay at home and be with their children and weaponize it to make money for yourself as uh, fucking disgusting. Ooh, it's so dark-sided. Yeah. Well, well, so I didn't know this, so I looked it up. In order for an MLM to be legal, it has to have a buyback policy and prohibit buying new inventory until retailers have sold 70% and have at least 10 new customers. And this is what they're being hit for in some, unlike 
on most of that because an MLM is gross. It is legal. Um, so the lawsuits they're being hit with essentially like this is the way that people are trying to get them is by, by saying like they didn't offer this. They didn't mm. offer this buyback. Um, gotta get them on a technicality. Gotta get them. They maintain, the Stidham still maintain that LuLaRoe, which is still in business, even though the startup costs have gone down like 90%, but they say it was never a scam, but a meritocratic ladder reflective of personal effort and character. Uh, well, the character, uh, that's such a red flag to me. Even in a, like a non-MLM business, mm-hmm. like if like if your boss is ever like, this is about your character, I'd be like, bitch, no the fuck it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. It's, <laughs> this is work. This is my job, you weirdo. Um, the company instead offered like, so the company, they did that first interview, then they declined a second one and instead offered a statement presented at the end of the series, which says, we continue to bring greater focus to our mission of improving lives and strengthening families through the principle of entrepreneurism while continuing to educate small business owners about the opportunities found in personal responsibility and individual choice who does that sound like basically what we're talking about is this dual-edged sword of personal responsibility which is what mlms and a lot of girl boss self-help hustle culture blah 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 feed off is that if you're a failure it's your fault right and then they grossly subvert that by being like but failure is for you and you can fire it out um (laughs) so Roberta Blevins felt the stigma as she began to lose faith in the company over the course of 2017. And the last straw for her was joining a Facebook support group for ex LuLaRoe consultants and having every little thing that she was worried about, anything that she had, like any complaints that she had about the company, all her questions were answered. And she said that she read through all the posts and she cried. Um, because they make you feel crazy. She says that there's this process of grief when you when you go through, when you leave an MLM. Because she did leave in September 2017. Hell yes, girl. And now she has a podcast that advocates against MLMs, which is sick. She says there's a lot of excommunication, excommunication, harassment, people telling her that she was crazy, that she's gonna that she would ruin her life if she left. Which is just ruin your life? How? I just I I mean like I guess you'd have no money. There's all this like behind the scenes peer pressure and bullying because I think that they were very scared of the repercussions if they're going to have a platform like this. You know what I mean? So in February, LuLaRoe agreed to pay 4.75 million to the state of Washington to settle a 2019 consumer protection lawsuit that alleged the company operated a pyramid scheme that made unfair and deceptive misrepresentations regarding the profitability of being a retailer, which I think is very fair they lied through its collation of first person testimony lula rich the documentary offers an invitation tacitly to attorney generals around the country to do what washington did to protect the consumers in the meantime the company still promises a community of lasting love and fellowship on a website that pitches creating freedom through fashion over a single button join lula row so that that's the story of an arm and a legging an arm and a legging and seriously look them up they are hideous uh yeah no that shit fucking sucks dude uh you did you did a very good job of kind of distilling down an entire like sort of so much information in that show yeah yeah (laughs) thank you but but i didn't even know i i feel like they talked about it a little bit in the in the documentary but i didn't even know the thing about like i i thought that the like the legal thing was they had had to prove that a certain amount of their, and I think this is part of it, that a certain amount of their, um, a certain percentage of their revenue has to come from the actual sale of whatever the product is and not just from recruiting people. Yeah. So the kind of like very specific and a 
almost arbitrary like you have to be like people have to have like at least 10 customers or whatever it feels mm-hmm. so stupid uh but like yeah. like because we all know the truth it is a pyramid scheme it's literally how it works yes if you have it to, is if you have to pay five thousand dollars to get a new job and then immediately the first part of your job is convincing all your friends and family to also pay five thousand dollars to have the same job as you you are not a small business owner i'm so sorry to tell you yeah that does I'm not i'm not trying to hurt your feelings i'm trying to save that you a lot of money that worked yeah well so so there, there's a bunch of different lawsuits against them one is for all the like defective clothing that was really bad and people weren't allowed to return it so there's like a big sort of class action lawsuit for that there's they have a lawsuit from their old supplier which they countersued for a billion dollars it's like what the hell is going on there and then okay five million a five million lawsuit was filed in california on behalf of a group of consultants who are you know for the whole it's an illegal pyramid scheme that's what washington sued them for and so it's a bunch of it's just a bunch of different ways that they lied that they're being sued for cool and apparently uh, Mark Stidham called the customers pigs. So Ew. Yeah, that's nice, isn't it? Everyone's awful. Everyone is bad. <laughs> we'll smell an R. Yes. I will give you... Oh my God. <laughs> I want to give you four <laughs> points off the bat for the title. I think it was strong. And I'm like, really, honestly, truly could have been the name of Lula Rich. It could have been an alt title. Yeah, and, thank uh, you. it would have been <laughs> fitting right in. I will also give you... I will give you another three points for the restraint that you showed talking about like dropping like the Katy Perry Kelly Clarkson thing in there uh, but not mentioning that guy that was just like this ruined Kelly Clarkson for me and I loved listening to Kelly Clarkson and it's like what are <laughs> hey King what are you talking about I don't think it's about that dude no because <laughs> uh, I have simply seen that everywhere on Twitter and TikTok since Lula Rich came out and I feel like you showed great personal restraint so I will have to give you points for that I appreciate that thank you <laughs> you're welcome I am going to take away a point because I feel like you didn't do enough like bullying about like <laughs> that couple and how they oh yeah and how like they had like all those children and two of the kids and two married, of them are married? yeah that was like, the most yeah. salacious detail and you just totally slid right over it that's, that's true I, I did forget that. that one that's but fair I will, that's fair I will give back wait for it five points <gasps> whoa uh, because because you uh, because you brought in a, a topic where we could like riff together and I had a lot of fun and it helped oh, me forget how like sad and strange I was feeling at the beginning of the podcast <laughs> okay great we turned it around for you we turned it around I love that Stanny, I mean, three points for stopping World War Three. Right. One for every one for every war. Yeah, ten points because I love a story about a sweet old man and you knew that about me. And I knew that about you, and that's why I picked it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I do I lucky, humbled, one of those, something in between there. I got to go to Hiroshima when I went to Japan and knowing sort of like firsthand what all what the planet would look like if Stan hadn't stopped that if Stan had made the wrong phone call is um, bone chilling and you know how I love to have my bones chilled so that's another two points Um, it's very nice but um, I'm gonna have to take away I have to take away one point because I did just um, do a little bit of research and I found that dear Stan left us a few years ago yeah Um, and that's sad so well he was like very old yeah well you know what (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) he didn't die like right after like what happened no I know but I just I 
I, I just, I, it makes me sad. We, we started to watch the Fellowship of the Ring today because we're in like a fun, lazy movie mood. And um, Miles was like, oh, Ian McKellen, he's still alive, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, yes. But one day, like I'm going to be watching the Fellowship of the Ring and Ian McKellen's not going to be alive. And that is a really sad thought. <gasps> That's rough. <sighs> that is rough. And then also RIP Christopher Lee, who we did a topic on once. That's true. Um, um, anyway, so you win the episode today oh, with well, 14 well. points and I came up with well, 11 well. so not bad and I'm going to add that to our total which are f- and uh, and, the, <laughs> and that's the end of the show we've done it we've simply done it we've simply done it thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of what Chelsea where can people find you people can find me at Chelsea Harfouche yeah. literally wherever uh, internets are sold and I have an announcement <gasps> what's the announcement okay so you know how like sometimes I like write stuff yeah <laughs> yes uh, and you Ellie because you're my friend know that a few months ago I won a screenwriting competition yes and the the prize was doing a virtual like a table read a live table read of Mm -hmm. the pilot that I submitted yeah Uh, and it's finally actually (gasps) supposedly allegedly finally happening when it is on it's next saturday saturday september 25th okay uh, at 3 p.m central 1 p.m pacific 4 p.m eastern 2 p.m mountain <laughs> hopefully that was helpful for everybody and uh, it's free uh and so i'm going to link in the description of the episode uh a link to where you can sign up if you wanted to maybe attend and for free get to listen on your computer to a bunch of actors read a uh, pilot that i wrote out loud that uh, is so funsies. exciting uh the i the reason i was like slow to like say it is because the um it's an eventbrite page and it's a little confusing because when you go to like buy tickets it there's like several different options for it's a big event like a big like well, i shouldn't say big like it's it's like a it is like a full event it's a full day of like different things and of they're me- all okay. like um it's like a hollywood like networking event um of which the table read is one part and so don't get distracted by like there's like a bunch of like zooms and like that and they all cost like $20 if you just keep scrolling past all of the like actually important people and you just keep scrolling down to the bottom you will see virtual table read free Uh, okay that would be what you would want to click on you wanted to just come to the table read and I love the pilot and the pilot is about podcasting kind of so it all comes together it's all real circle yeah Uh, supposedly Um, he's the uh, one of the organizers is uh, supposedly sending me like a, gra- a social media graphic that he wants Ooh. me to post to my social medias. Uh, so I will also post those. If you follow me on the aforementioned social media at Chelsea Harfish, wherever internets are sold, you will also <laughs> find a link to buy the tickets. Again, you don't have to buy them. They are free. So you have almost nothing to lose. And I would love if you <laughs> wanted to, that you attended. Um, you should absolutely attend that. Watch them call it. That would be super awesome. And if you're in the UK, I believe that's 9 p.m. GMT. Oh my God, she did it. I did. She did it. Where can people find you? You can find me at Ellie Main on Instagram and Ellie Maney on Twitter. And you can find this podcast at WhatPod on Twitter and Instagram, Patreon, Facebook, and Redbubble. And you can find our website at those two girls.club. And uh, maybe this week, I don't know, um, go learn something. Yeah, you're going to want to keep it loose, mm-hmm. keep it tight, yeah. say your prayers at night. Yes, you do. Oh my gosh, I just got emailed a Bitcoin. I bet that's real. Oh my God, you're rich. I'm so rich. 